Who here is expecting Jesus to do something in the next 30 minutes in your heart? If you are, can you just stand to your feet and give praise to him right now? Come on. Father, we just say that you are worthy. You are worthy of all praise. God, come and do what only you can do. God, we desperately need you here today. Come on, church. I said this is for Jesus. It's not for me. Right now, as we praise God, right now we are breaking the back of relationship dysfunction in our homes. In Jesus' name, we are breaking the back of divorce in our homes right now. In Jesus' name, we are breaking the back of wayward kids in the name of Jesus. We are breaking the back of addiction in our home in the name of Jesus. We are breaking the back of illness, sickness, disease in our home, miscommunication. God, we say that you are worthy of all of our praise, and we ask that you would come and do what only you can do. God, you require of us to not offer you something that costs us nothing, so we lift your name today. God, we praise you today, and we know that heaven is working on our behalf. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. That was fun. Man, I just, I love, you ever just do like a praise break at home? You've never done that. You need to learn how. You just get frustrated, annoyed, tired of the dishes, tired of the dogs, tired of the husband, whatever. And you just find a place with you and Jesus and you just praise him. You praise him like your last and next breath depends on it. You just praise him, and then you watch chains begin to break and fall in your home. I'm telling you, when nothing else will work, praise will do the trick. Praise will do it. Today we are starting a series called XO, Love, Relationships, and the Church. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm going to move quick because I ran out of time in first service. I took too much time and still ran out of time for all of what I wanted to say. Um, I, I figure I better, I better hit a topic on relationships that is the foundation of where we need to go in the series. Um, for you teens that are standing and sitting next to your parents, don't worry. Today, we're not talking about sex. You can relax. We're not doing that. Uh, but we are talking about something very foundational, very pivotal to healthy relationships. And I don't care if you're married or single, widowed, divorced, elderly, young, still living at home or living at home again, this message is for you because you have relationships everywhere you are. And I'm just believing that God is going to speak to us today. Before you sit down, I'm not going to read text. I'm going to let you sit down while we do that because I want to kind of walk through it uh, line by line, verse by verse, and it's quite a bit that I want to share with you today. Hopefully you, br you brought your Bibles. If not, no worries. We have projection uh, where we can walk through the verses. But before you do, I need you to meet somebody new. I see a lot of new faces here today. And so meet somebody new, high five them, hug them, talk for 30, 60 seconds. Don't be shy. This is what family looks like. Let's do it. And then you may be seated. Love, relationships, and the church. Love, relationships, and the church. XO is the name of this series. This is week one. And I was thinking about how do we kick this off, and I, I have to tell you, I'm going to ground zero of relationships. And, 
And the reality is that you and I can't ever have healthy relationships until we understand some things about who we are and people that we are and how we function and how we work. So I want to talk about that with you. The greatest example in Scripture that I could find, at least, is found in Luke chapter 8 of what Jesus is trying to teach us. And I'm going to start with verse 40 and go all the way through 56. Luke verse 8, it says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. First of all, when you read, now when Jesus returned, anytime you read the word now or then or next, you should always ask yourself, what happened before that, right? This is a a key phrase, now when Jesus returned. So if we back up in your Bibles or on your phones, um, if we just skim, like I'm doing in my Bible, my preaching Bible here in chapter 8, before we get to verse 40, we see that Jesus is doing a lot of teaching. We see um, Jesus calms the storm. That's pretty impressive. How many storms have you calmed lately? Uh, that's pretty impressive. Then G- Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. That's, that's huge. How many would agree that's kind of a big deal? <laughs> right? He has the authority to cast out demons. He's doing a lot, of, a lot of work. I can't imagine how tired he was. I mean, I know how tired I am after preaching two sermons on a Sunday, right? I go home, I sit on the couch. Half the time, I don't even go out to eat with anybody because I've tried it and I got in trouble because I just look like a zombie. I'd be sitting at the table with with guests or whatever from the church, and they would think I didn't like them. And I'm thinking, no, that I don't like you. I don't see you. I'm I'm here and not here. So oftentimes my wife will just kind of bring home lunch. Usually it's uh, Schlotzky's and she'll bring it home and I'll sit on my couch and I'll be looking at the TV. TV's not even on and I'm just not there because I'm exhausted. You know, if you serve for two services, you know how it is, even if you're in the parking lot or changing baby's diapers, especially in preschool, good grief. You're tired and every Sunday it's good birth control. It's like I'm never having kids again. I'm just kidding. That's a blessed ministry. It's, it's tons of fun. But my point is this. It's a lot of work to serve two services back-to-back on a Sunday morning. Can you imagine if every Sunday you were actually having to teach parables, teach lessons, do, do a little of this, a little bit of that? Oh, and uh, by the way, I'm just going to calm this storm, and I'm going to cast out this demon. How tired do you think Jesus was? Pretty, pretty tired. It says in verse 40, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Everybody say expecting. Now, I looked up that word for you so that you don't have to, but do you know what expecting means? It means expecting. To wait for, to have an expectation. So Jesus, who had just done all of these things, now shows up at the edge of town, and he's crowded by tons of people who had been waiting for him. Not, not because they just wanted to see what kind of clothes he was wearing. Not because they wanted to see if he wore earrings. Not because they wanted to see his newest sandals. They were waiting for him because they had a need. We have some friends that are staying the weekend with us. Tim and Tracy Sarter, they were in first service. And uh, they live in College Station. We've known them probably 18, 19 years. They're good, good friends of ours. And their daughter is over at UT, and so on occasion, they'll call us up and say, hey, can we come over for the weekend and, and stay there? This weekend, they're over. They showed up late Friday night, and they're leaving today at some point. We have a guest room, second story, 
And uh, we went up there, we cleaned the carpet, va vacuumed the carpet. We cleaned the bathrooms, the toilet, the shower. We fixed the bed. We moved the couch in there. We put in nice clean sheets. We, we cleaned everything for them. They showed up Friday night. And I, being the great host that I am, had a TV up there playing iHeartRadio worship, nice worship music. I had the two lamps on in the room so, you know, you create the ambiance and so that when my friends walk into the room, they feel like they're in a hotel because I want to be a, a blessing to them. But I haven't really seen them all weekend. They came Friday, woke up Saturday morning. I, I asked my wife if she'd make breakfast the way she makes breakfast rather than the way I make breakfast. And uh, she made a great uh, meal for all of us, so we had breakfast together. But then I, I didn't really see them most of the day. They had plans. And then last night they were gone. They were having dinner with her daughter and her new boyfriend. Apparently he's a nice guy. We'll see how that all pans out. And, um, and then I went to bed. They got home at 10. I went to bed at 10.15. Just enough time for me to hear how their dinner was. Said, I love you guys. I'm going to bed. Need to get ready. Tomorrow's a big day. Went to bed around 10.15, 10.30. Didn't see them this morning. They showed up to first service, right? These are my friends. I made room for them because I was expecting them. But I had no expectations on them. So I didn't, I didn't say, okay, you're staying in my house, but since you're staying in my house, why don't you cook a meal? We'll cook a meal. We'll cook breakfast. Y'all make us dinner. There were no expectations. Do you know what? I, are you with me? Are you awake, church? It's going to be a long 40 minutes if you're this tired already. My friends came over. I set the environment, the atmosphere, because I was expecting them, but I didn't have expectations on them. Not so with where Jesus is headed. These people didn't just prepare a little getaway. They didn't prepare a little seaside uh, breakfast or dinner for Jesus, right? Just, hey, we want to welcome you. You're tired. You've cast out a demon. You, you calmed the storm. We just want to welcome you. They were there because they, they had something they needed. And so we go on. Jesus returns. The crowd is waiting for him. They welcome him. They're expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, this is verse 41, a synagogue leader came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding, hemorrhaging for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could go unnoticed any longer, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, all the people that had a need, all the people that were hoping for Jesus to acknowledge their need, to meet their need, to bring them out of whatever situation and circumstance they were currently in. And this woman, in front of all of the hopefuls standing around, she says it was her. And then verse 48, he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. 
Meanwhile, all the people were waiting and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. <laughs> I love that. All the people are crying. I can just picture Jesus walking up here and I'm crying. He's like, yeah, can you not do that? Like, that's enough. Let, let's stop all the drama. Put the Academy Award back on the shelf. She's not dead. She's, she's sleeping. So he walks in with Peter, James, and John, and they're laughing at him. And uh, he knows that she's about to get up, so he takes her by the hand and says, My child, get up. Verse 55, her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Jesus was walking through a crowd, already tired. Had to be. Had to be. I don't, I don't know this for sure. The Bible doesn't say it, but come on. The dude's got to be tired. And even if, he, if he's not tired, his agenda was pretty full. And, and he shows up. The first thing on the scene is Jay Iris, who says, my daughter is dying. And between the yes and the fulfillment of the yes are a whole lot of people pressing in, trying to get their needs met. This is the foundation that I want to talk to you today about. It's called Boundaries. In this block of text, we see so clearly that Jesus was a master at creating boundaries. Jesus, the creator of the entire world, you, you would think he could just replenish his energy. He could do all of this. He could just, with a swoop of his hand, he could meet every single need in the entire field. But, but Jesus, in this moment, is practicing what it looks like to walk through a crowd of needs and not meet every need. Boundaries. You and I have to get to a place, if we want healthy relationships, you and I have to get to a place where we understand that boundaries are helpful, not harmful. Boundaries help us do more and be more focused than ever before. I, I love that if Jesus turns his attention to you, you get healed. But it may just be that there were people in that crowd that they didn't get the attention of Jesus. I bet you there was someone in that crowd demon-possessed, and that demon was there even after Jesus left. I bet you someone had athlete's foot somewhere in that crowd. I, I guarantee it. You, I guarantee it. At least, at least they had and nasty heels with cracks because they didn't have, their sandals were old. I guarantee you somebody had allergies. Somebody, some little kid needed a tissue in that crowd. And I, and I bet you that kid did not get healed in that moment because Jesus was about his father's business. He was on a mission. He had said yes to Jairus. And between that yes and the little girl, there were a lot of things that he had to not look at so that he can look at where he's going. Boundaries are critical. If you can't set limits with other people's needs, then you become afraid of those needs. If you can't set limits of the types of needs, the kinds of needs, the people who have needs that you're going to reach, if, if you just say every need that comes to you must be fulfilled by you, you're going to start to become afraid of all the needs that should be reached by you because you get overwhelmed understanding that you actually weren't created to meet every need. Some people also don't set boundaries in their world because they're afraid it's going to upset others. Can I get an amen from anybody who ever has tried to negotiate holiday schedules with extended family? Whoo! 
I'm just scared. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to hurt them. Can I just tell you, boundaries are necessary. And will people get offended? I can tell you from experience, absolutely. And that's okay. They'll get over it. They will get over it. Stop trying to carry the guilt and the shame of not meeting every expectation and every need that is presented to you because what will happen is you'll meet all of the easy needs that God really didn't design for you to meet and then you can't meet the needs that he's placed specifically for you and you alone to meet. Boundaries, you have to... We see boundaries also in Acts chapter 6. Peter and the disciples, they're waiting tables. Waiting time, you, you didn't know that this is why we should always be good to our waiters and waitresses at restaurants, right? It's a biblical job. Peter and the disciples waiting tables. And uh, finally, he gets all the disciples together. They, the numbers have grown. And he talks to the whole room, and he says, hey, guys, listen, check this out. Um, me and the boys, we're not, we're not waiting tables anymore. We're going we're gonna to delegate that. We've we got to set some boundaries here. We can't do it all. I'm going to have, actually, uh, uh, Stephen. Stephen is filled with wisdom. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen, you and a crew are going to wait tables. And, and me and, and us, we're going to go spend time in prayer and in reading the Word. Because that's our priority. That's the boundary that we have to set. You know what Peter was doing? He was saying, in this moment, I am changing my relationship to your need. It's not that the need's not important. It's not that it wasn't important for people to get served. It just wasn't important for Peter to be the one to serve them. Some of us are in so much dysfunction, we try to meet every need, not because we think we're only qualified, but that's how we get our self-worth. And can I tell you, it's just a slippery slope because you start to build value of yourself thinking you're meeting everyone's needs, but you know deep inside you weren't created to meet all of these needs. So now you feel like the errand boy. You feel like the one that everyone goes to and runs to to take care of everything because they know that you don't have the backbone to say no. Boundaries really do matter. It makes or breaks our relationships. I, I will tell you, every single one of you, from, from the front row to the back row, from the left to the right, from the youngest to the oldest, your boundaries must change as you grow and progress in life. Your, your relationship to other people's needs will develop, it will transform, it will transition as you are developing, transforming, and transitioning. That's how it's supposed to be. You are not supposed to meet every need that is presented to you. Do, do you not understand it is Satan's job to wear out the saints? trying to get us to do a lot of good things that aren't really the God things that God intended for us. And again, just because I don't meet your need doesn't mean that your need is not important. It just means that I'm not the one that's going to meet that need. So it's more about setting focus and priorities for myself and, and really less about your needs at all. It, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not a judgment on your need. It's clarity on my purpose. I, um, about three times a week in my house, there's this guy that drives by. I live uh, in Pflugerville.
Pflugerville. It's a land that's so awesome, you pay more taxes than anyone else. Um, so let's just say that's 35. Okay, I live somewhere near 35. Um, you know where the Pflugerville Park is? Pflugerville Park, the old town, Pflugerville Park, I live over in that area, okay? So here's, here's like, I don't know, here's my house, but there are streets, there are streets. And then I hear, about three times a week, I hear this, this guy with a muscle car. Sound, I mean, maybe it's a girl. I don't know. But around 9 or 9.30 at night, I just hear, he's not on my road. I live in a cul-de-sac. So it's loud enough that in my living room, while listening to music or a sermon or watching TV or hearing my dogs bark, I'm hearing, you ever heard that just sitting in your, he's, I don't know where he is. He's somewhere over here. If I can draw a car. This wasn't a joke. This is not a funny element, humorous element. That's a car. Um, that is, uh, let's see, muscles, it's a muscle car. All right. Three times a week, I hear it, and I sit up, and I think, man, like, it's not 30. Little kids are asleep. Why are you doing, it's not the time of day to be doing that, but man, I'd like to see that car. I, like, I wonder what, I wonder what, I would be really disappointed if it's like some moped. You know, with loudspeakers, drives by, just got a speakers. Sounds like a muscle car. So he and I have a relationship, basically. Three times a week, I know he's near me, and he knows that I'm near him somewhere. Right? That's probably the goal of the muscle car is to let people know you, you're there. So he's doing that because he wants me to notice, right? So he and I are in a relationship. Three times a week, I've never seen his face, never, or her face, don't know his name, her name. But I, I hear him, and I know, I know that we have something in common like we live in Pflugerville, or at least in Texas, right? Because he makes his presence known. I acknowledge it. We have a, a relationship. I, I don't know him. It's a different kind of relationship. But if, but if this dude pulls up to my front yard, and he pulls into my driveway, and then he revs the engine, and I walk out, I'm like, bro, what you doing, man? My neighbors are going to think this is me. They've already called the cops on me 15 times in eight years. Don't do that. True story. They have. Yep, the pastor. The pastor in the community is the rebel. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, anyway, you know, it happens. Um, so anyway, they've called the cops on me. And I said, man, don't do that. Don't do that. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Let me turn the engine off. And he walks up to my porch. Um, it, it's a different relationship than here. He can do it three streets over, but the moment he does it in my front yard, we're going to have a bit of a different relationship. And then he walks up to my door. He just lets himself in, walks in, and says, hey, Trey. I'm like, are you, are you muscle car girl? And she says, yeah. And she walks into my kitchen, and she opens the fridge. What you got in here? That's a different relationship. I, I don't know you like that, right? I could invite you over to my house, but that don't mean you're going to walk up to my fridge and open the fridge. Can I get an amen from somebody who has some common sense? If you don't understand what I'm saying, raise your hand so I know not to have you at my house. Because when I'm preparing my house for you, I'm cleaning everything you see, not the inside of the fridge. 
So then he or she uh, leaves the, the fridge and then walks into my bedroom. My bedroom. So this is where you stay, huh? I'm like, wait, no. No one goes in my bedroom. I don't care how much I love you. I don't care how much I say I love you. If you're coming to my house, you can stay out of my bedroom. Not because you're not valuable or not worth something, but my room in that moment may not be valuable to see. Do you know what I mean? Like, my family can come in my bedroom, and they, and they do often. My, um, my dogs don't know any boundaries, so they go wherever they want. My, my parents, my in-laws knock before they come in my bedroom. Um, at my house, Carrie and I could go to bed at 10 or 10.30 at night, and, and possibly Michaela and Lawrence show up because they drop the kids off after worship, and they'll know we're in bed, and they always harass us because they say that we're old. We go to bed too early. And so they just walk into our room, both of them, Michaela and Lawrence, just, we're in, we're in the bed. And they walk in our room, just sit down on the, on the bed with us. Sometimes they lay down in the bed, say, hey, let's talk. And I'm like, no, talking hours were before 10 p.m. And they will sit there till midnight and we'll, we'll be talking, right? But now if I'm in bed with my wife and Greg walks into my room, hops in my bed, and says, let's talk. I'm going to take issue with that. Right? He's my brother-in-law, but it's still different levels of intimacy, right? My kids, my kids can do that. Greg, not so much. Right? Th- these are different, different levels, and, and we need to understand that um, if we don't know how to manage boundaries, we don't actually know how to manage intimacy in our world. Because every time I cross a line of a boundary and I get go from being on 35 to being in the driveway to being at the fridge to being in the bedroom, that person is becoming more intimate to me. And when I say intimacy, I'm not talking about intercourse. I'm talking about sharing my heart and them sharing their heart with me. There is a greater depth of intimacy the closer you get to the core of who I am. In Psalms 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Every relationship has a need for structure and boundaries. And there are requirements for intimacy to grow. Just because you drive in my neighborhood with a loud car that sounds awesome doesn't mean you and I have an intimate relationship. Doesn't mean that I know who you are. Doesn't mean that you know who I am. Just because you live on my street doesn't mean there's intimacy there. And just because you live in my home doesn't mean there's intimacy there. There has to be a sharing with each other and knowing where those boundaries are. Are you following me, church? There are requirements to increase your intimacy with the Lord. Jesus uh, loved all people. Wouldn't you agree? But he had boundaries. He had concentric circles of people that he reached. He loved all people, but he, he really loved the nation of Israel. Those were his people. He really loved the nation of Israel, but then he really poured into the 12. Spent a lot of time with the 12. 
right? Ate, drank, slept, traveled, shared stories, saw successes, saw failures, celebrations, betrayals with, with the 12. But even in the 12, he had the three, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were closer to Jesus than the other eight. Nine days, by the way. Yeah. No, nine. Well, Judas, we can just say eight or nine. Who knows? He's still on the fence. Um, but even, even in the Peter, James, and John, there was the one. John. The Bible says Jesus loved John more than all the others. You can find that in the book of John, written by John. So we have what I would like to propose to you, concentric circles of influence. And a lot of people, a lot of people think the boundaries uh, look like this. I'm sick and tired of you. Caden, I'm done. I'm sick of it, man. I I'm not going to allow you to talk to me like that. I'm done. I've had enough. I've had enough of it. It stops. You're done. Like Some of us think that's what boundary, boundaries look like. And we do nothing about boundaries until we're just fed up. And then we blow up. You ever been that person where you take it in and you take it in and you know that you should address it and you know that you should set boundaries and you don't. And then it, 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 when you least expect it, that one little thing that should not have been a trigger, all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and you blow up and you let someone have it. That's not actually boundaries at all. That's called punishment. You're punishing other people because you were not able to create boundaries in your life. And I, I will tell you this, dysfunction attracts dysfunction. You know the people in your world who they don't understand boundaries themselves, so they will take from you and they will take from you and they will take from you and they will increase expectation after expectation after expectation and they will consistently want more than you're able to give and they will press and they will press and they will press. That's dysfunction. The problem is, You've not set boundaries. So you say yes to everything, and your dysfunction attracts their dysfunction. You create a hole, and they create the peg. If we want our relationships to be stable, we have to know what good boundaries actually looks like and how to set them in our world. What do boundaries do, first of all? Number one, they keep in your life what you want to keep in. Joy, peace, patience, respect, honor. Good boundaries will keep in your life what you want to keep in your life. It's like letting a totter, 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 toddler play in your backyard. Hopefully you've got a fence up so that the toddler stays in the backyard, right? If you don't, that toddler, if they're fast, they're going to be gone. They're going to jump in the car with the muscle guy, Right? The boundary, that fence, keeps in what you want to keep in, whether it's a toddler or a dog or a garden, whatever it is. It keeps in what you want to keep in, but boundaries also help keep things out. Like anger, disrespect, chaos, the inability to coordinate or plan ahead of schedule because someone's always expecting you to jump through hoops to do things last minute. It keeps your life in sane working order when you understand how to function in boundaries. 
keeps the toddler in, but it keeps all the neighborhood dogs out. Boundaries are critical. And, and just so you know, boundaries, is, it's not stiff-arming someone and keeping them at a distance because you're, you're afraid that they're going to make your emotions flare up. That's not what a boundary is. Boundaries actually don't control your emotions. Did you know that? The emotions flow out of who you already are, not what's happening to you. You see, no one can make you feel anything. They can't. Oh, you make me feel so angry. That's not their problem. That's something inside of you that's bubbling up to the surface that you failed to resolve and deal with God on. You make me feel so inadequate. That's no one else's. I don't care how dysfunctional they are. That's no one else's problem but yours. You know why? Because we have to stop expecting other people to manage our boundaries. If we don't have boundaries, that's our fault. It is 100% our fault. If we stay in a dysfunctional relationship where we are constantly being manipulated, we are constantly being given guilt trips and shamed in front of other people, whatever that looks like, it is 100% our fault because we refuse to walk in boundaries. Pastor, this is a good sermon. Consider this as a big circle with concentric circles. Okay? Right here is uh, what I call the core. C-O-R-E. It's the core. It's me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus in the core. I, no, there's no room for anyone else in the core but me and Jesus. I don't care how in love you are with that spouse. I don't care how long you've waited for that kid that finally came. I don't care how appreciative and grateful you are for the boss. In this core, it is you and Jesus and you alone. And when you fail to recognize that, you will place someone else in the core of who you are that defines who you are, and that should never be for anyone else but you and Jesus. The core. Now, the next circle, um, there's a place for one. You know, Jesus had one. Here's one. This is the person that you are the most intimate with. The greatest degree of intimacy. If you're married, hopefully it's your spouse. Doesn't have to be, though. I mean, it should be. But I've seen many cases where that's not. I've seen many cases where someone is, has more intimacy with their mother or their father or their children from a previous relationship than they do with this person. You guys are just processing, right? Okay. For me, it happens to be my wife, Carrie. She, she's amazing. She knows all of me. And loves me anyway. I, I, have, I have never fully known the love of Jesus uh, until I came to the end of myself and realized that she was still standing with me. She knew it all, and she loved me anyway. That's that one. Then over here, there's room for a couple, maybe two, three, four, five. Uh, probably your kids, your, your family. So for me, I've got a lot of kids, so I'll just say 20. 
have a lot of kids. But, you know, in this, in this circle, um, I have my kids, Micah, Michaela, Jordan, Tristan, Addison. And I've got um, Lawrence, who married into the family, and Michaela married into his family. And then I've got Rachel, who married Michael, Micah, and then Micah married into Rachel's family. By the way, when your kids get married, you don't lose anything. You just have more Christmas gifts to buy, right? You know, you, all, you always hear that. You're, not, it, you're gaining someone. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> and I love it. I love it. But these are the people. And then family of choice, right? So I've got, like, my, my sisters and their husbands and my nieces and my nephews, my parents, my in-laws. Like, there's a lot of people that just really I can be have really intimate conversations with. They know me, you know? They know me. Family of choice. Like, Cheryl Biggs, family of choice. She moved here with us eight years ago, nine years ago to start the church. So, she, you know, she's there. And then, you know, um, probably in this season— of my life, all of my staff is in this circle. But there there have been and will be seasons where not all the staff are in that circle. Uh, staff are maybe in this circle. You know, the bigger we get, the more staff we have. Not everyone can stay in that circle, right? But staff is there. Then I've got church people, all of you people right there. I've got church in a circle. Some of you may be closer than others. Some of you maybe just come once a month, so we don't really have the chance to interact much. But that, it's okay. Come more often. Let's get connected more. That, that can increase. But then I've got people not even in the church that, you know, they just rev their engine at 930 at night three times a week, right? So I've got community out here. How, how many know that the closer you get to the core of who I am, you should have more visibility into who I am? Yeah? Like, Carrie knows me better than even my kids know me. And that's normal. That's how it should be. That's what a God-honoring marriage looks like. If right now you are in deeper relationships with your children than your spouse, that's a problem. Carrie knows me more. My kids know me more than the staff do or volunteers. We got amazing volunteers. Ramona Egley is up here several times a week just doing stuff. Because she spends more time here, we know her more around here. That's reasonable, right? It would be, it would be somewhat irrational and illogical for someone to say, well, you guys know Ramona better than me. Well, she's kind of here three times a week. You're here three times a year. Do you know what I mean? The, are you with me? The closer you get, the more visibility you have into my heart and the more access I have into your heart. If someone out in the community says, hey, Trey, my car blew up, I'm going to say, oh, man, who's your pastor? <laughs> Go tell your pastor. I mean, why not, right? He, at very least, he can pray for you, but I, you're, not my, you're not my sheep. I don't mind... You know, I'll, I'll pray for you, but if someone in, in the church, one of you comes to me and says, hey, Trey, my car blew up. I'm going to say, oh, man, Here, here's the name and number to my mechanic. Tell him I sent you because I have a relationship with you. I know that you're not going to backstab him or not pay, get service done and not pay him. So I can refer you to my mechanic, and hopefully he won't charge you more just because you know me. If my staff 
comes to me and says, hey, my car, my car blew up. I'll be like, oh, man, Cheryl, gosh, I'll tell you what, I've not ridden my motorcycle in about six months. Why don't you get, take my motorcycle? Here's the keys. Use it. Use it like it's yours. Use it like it's a rental. Just take it. I, I'd love to see Cheryl on that motorcycle. Right? But I, I'm, I'm not going to loan all of you my motorcycle. I love you and all, but I'm not in the motorcycle loaning business. Right? I keep having to say a right a lot because I'm not getting much affirmation. Okay. It's all right. I'm not... That, that makes me seem needy. I don't need your affirmation. <laughs> I'm just doing what the Lord told me to do. Whether you receive it or not, that's, no, I'm just kidding. My kids come to me and say, my car blew up. Guess what? I already know I'm going to be out hundreds of bucks. Hopefully in the form of a loan that maybe someday I'll get back. Right? Uh, right? Now, my wife... If her car blows up, I already know she's picking the color of the next car. Amen. You know the importance of boundaries. It's almost like a building with no doors. Have you ever passed a building with no doors? Maybe they're building something and there's no doors, no windows, and you sneak in. I know you did. I've done it too. Because you want to see the layout. You know, you want to look at what they're doing. I guarantee you the house without doors has nothing valuable inside. The people building that house did not leave their TV, their big screen TVs, plasma TVs, where the living room's going to be. Because there are no boundaries. And when there are no boundaries, there is this perceived notion in all of us that that means there is no value inside. The moment I can lock the door, the very, the very fact that we can lock the doors of this church tells people when they walk up to the church, there's something inside. We're not under construction. We, we're not lacking stuff of value. We actually have things of value, and there's a reason to lock the door. Boundaries give this perception that there's value. And, and you and I, I think, have to get better with understanding the value that we have. When I can interact with you, knowing that you don't have boundaries, I can steal your value. When that happens, your self-respect goes way down. Some people think boundaries are there to keep people out um, and to say that you've had enough, but the truth is that's just resentment and punishment. Boundaries are there so that you can be the best you that God has created you to be and focus on the priorities that God has created you to do. It's not to diminish the other needs around you that you're not able to reach or you're not positioned to reach. It is simply so that the needs that are presented to you, that are God ordained for you to meet, are met with the excellence that God wants you to meet them with. I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to run through a couple of things. Uh, people will only value, respect, and honor you to the degree that you value, respect, and honor yourself. So if you are a house without doors, don't get angry when people walk on the floor plan. 
Don't complain, in other words, about what you permit. Don't post a sign that you have no value and then get upset when people believe you. Healthy relationships involve limits, priorities, and boundaries. Doors won't just appear on the building. They have to be installed, and it's a skill that you can learn. The culture of honor that we have here at the exchange, it simply says this, I expect you to be powerful, not powerless. Do you understand that? You are a, you are a chosen child of God. A culture of honor in the context of this house means when I pass you in the hall, when I see you out in the community, whenever we're talking about strategies and developing programs, I expect you to have a voice. I expect you to walk through with power, understanding that God has placed something inside of you to help accomplish this mission. So how do you create boundaries? I'm glad you asked. Number one, look at what upsets you. Look at what upsets you. Usually, and well, not usually, perhaps most of the time, areas of frustration are usually areas of our life that have a lack of boundaries. What frustrates you? Your kids are not doing their chores appropriately. That's because you've allowed it, you've permitted it, and you've not set proper boundaries and not enforced the boundaries. Because we all know you don't get what you expect, you get what you inspect. Number two, you have to actually believe that you have value. You have to be a house with doors and windows. For those of you sitting here today, you feel like you don't have value. Can I just uh, help you reframe and understand that you were valuable enough for Jesus to lay his life down for? Possibly we need to go through some inner healing. We have a pro program called Renewal. Probably you're holding on to so many things from your past, guilt, shame, decisions, whatever, whatever it may be. Maybe you've just had a rough life. Maybe it was handed to you. Maybe you stepped into it and you don't know how to break free from it. We, if we're going to have proper boundaries, we have to believe that we are people of value. Point number three. Begin to tell other people what you are going to do. I, I can't look at Lawrence and say, um, hey, Lawrence, you're really ticking me off. You can't speak to me that way because he can, and he just did. And if he did it once, he can do it again. I can't tell Lawrence how he's going to treat me. I can only say, I'll remain in this conversation if it's respectful. That's what I'm going to do. That's my boundary. I, I can't control Lawrence. He can, he, can, he can cuss me out, talk to me, however the way he wants it'll impact my perception of him, but I can't change Lawrence. But what I can do is I can let my actions speak louder than my words. And I found out that wherever your feet go, your ears go to. So it begins to escalate and get disrespectful. I'm sorry, Lawrence. By the way, I'm using Lawrence as an example because he's the most gentle guy I know. I'm sorry, Lawrence. Uh, listen, you know, I can't stay in this conversation. It's now become toxic. 
I'll let you go. We'll try again tomorrow. We, we, we've done that to people. Oh, you hung up on someone. No, I didn't hang up on anyone. I stepped away from toxic behavior because I'm too valuable to be exposed to that. I'm sorry, Lawrence. Listen, I, I feel so disrespected in this moment. I'm going to go ahead and leave. You, you can stay here. Stay the night. Eat all, all the food in my fridge. I don't care. Sleep in my bed. I'm, I'm going to leave. I'll come back tomorrow. We'll try to have this conversation again. Boundaries says a whole lot more about what you will do, not what you expect other people to do for you and to you. Last point, become a person that acts consistently with what you value. In other words, stop begging people. Will you please just stop talking to me that way? Will you please just, you know, just say thank you to me when I do this for you? Will you please just da-da-da? When you beg people, you realize that's just called manipulation, right? Manipul you're trying to get someone to behave in a way that makes you feel good. That's manipulation. You can't control other people's behavior. Again, we go back to setting boundaries is about what you tolerate and what you will stand for. I want to pray for you today. Can we get, get that? I can't hear the keys, so it's... you I know this guy he's a pastor at a church I won't tell you his name but um, like he's I'm, I'm almost done I promise nah, it's fine. Uh, he's he's in the habit of checking in with his heart which sounds a little bit weird but for his boundaries um, he will only counsel two people a day because he's just learned that for him to stay healthy and to walk in joy and not to feel overwhelmed, not for anxiety and depression to set in, he has to limit what he pours out. Not that he only works for two meetings a day. But that's all he does is he counsels for two people and then he'll work on something else, his passion or, you know, the next big project. And one day... Um, someone on team texted him and said, hey, uh, can, I, can I meet with you after church real quick for 10 minutes? I've got this issue. And so he, he read the text and he had already met with two people. And he, so he just checks in with his heart and he's like, hey, heart, how are you right now? Are you feeling depleted? Do you need rest? Or do you feel like you can go for one more? So he went to the, the lady and he said, you know, I know that your need is so important, but I checked in with my heart, and for me to be the best me that I can be, I'm going to have to put this off until in the morning. And if, if that's not okay with you, I can direct you to someone else to speak to, but this is what I have to do. And she was so okay. People actually respect when you set boundaries and you're clear with what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Because guess what? Just because you set boundaries doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it. 
But I respect healthy people. When, when someone sets a boundary, even with me, I'm like, oh, no, he didn't. I'm like, how? I'm attracted to the fact that they know how to provide self-care, that they value themselves enough to know when they can and can't do something. And so that's what I want to pray over you this week. Just a resurgence, a new stirring in your spirit to set boundaries, healthy, healthy boundaries. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. God, there are a lot of lies that we have been believing. Things and patterns and systems that we have embraced because we feel such a strong desire and need to fight for our right, fight for what we need. And God, we're wearing ourselves out because we're not actually setting boundaries. We're just punishing others. We're manipulating others. We're, we're finding ways to fill this void in our heart. We, we feel like if we can put people in their place, that it elevates us to a place. God, that's not boundaries. And I ask that you would just help us to become more aware, more self-aware than we've ever been. To find the sweet spot of what you have for us. And especially over the next three weeks. God, I know the enemy is already mad because marriages are going to be strengthened. I know the enemy is already mad because teenagers are going to adopt a heart of purity. And so, God, I just ask, I ask for just a grace, a covering over your people as the enemy tries to wedge himself in to relationships over the next three weeks. He tries to fight us on the front of relationships. God, I ask that there would just be a grace. God, let us hold on. Let us hold on till the miracle happens. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.